I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls. Thank you for joining us for this episode of I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. And as we always talk, we, we know we're reaching people who are in abusive relationships and may be realizing it or may have realized it for a long time and um, may be looking for help and, and the possibility of, of separating from the abuser or um, making things better for themselves and their children, their families. Um, but there are many things to consider as you begin that process and and today we're going to talk about really what people are mostly afraid of and um, lethality in, in domestic violence is something that um, does happen and what steps uh, you can take to prevent that happening and uh, Deborah Hackworth and Elizabeth Alderson are here today to talk to us about making plans and and really the the prospect of of lethality or the prospect of, of can an abuser kill you? So, um, Liz, I, I don't know who, who wants to start talking with this one. Well, um, you know, no matter if someone's been in an abusive relationship for two days or 20 years, the possibility that, um, the violence could escalate or the power and control could escalate into extreme violence, um, even murder, um, is a possibility. And so um, that's the thing that we're going to talk about. It's when does the line cross between um, manipulation, isolation, power and control to extreme violence um, and the possibility of uh, murder? There must be signs along the way that that they can begin to notice this that things are escalating. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, there are. One thing I will say is um, I've heard um, from survivors. Well, he said he was going to kill me um, if I ever left, but I'm not sure if that's um, true. Well, if they're talking about it and they're talking about it in detail, that means they have created a plan. Um, one survivor wow. told me that her husband told her that he was going, this was very specific. He said, I'm going to shoot you in the head, cut you up, feed you through the wood chipper, and then feed you to the pigs. That wasn't just something that he came up with off the top of his head. 
he had no. thought about this plan and had the ability to carry it out. And so she couldn't take that lightly as in, uh, well, he's just talking. No, this is someone who's thought through their plan. Mm -hmm. So hopefully she created a plan. You did call yeah. her a survivor, so that's a good thing. Yes, yes. When um, when I heard this story, she was actually in our shelter. And so she had been able to get away at that time. So um, some other side is if the abuser perceives that they've lost control over the victim through separation, divorce, or the victim leaving. If they believe that um, that they're losing control, they will ramp up their violence in order to maintain the power and control. And maybe that's, that's part of, do they feel that that ending their life is better than losing that power and control over the person? Yeah. And sometimes we see it, you know, when we look back over time, you know, what was the abuse like? How often did the abuse happen? And when that escalates, you know, so there was, there was always verbal in our relationship or emotional and the physical was a few times a year, but now it's a few times a month or it's a few times a week. So that escalation too, you know, are they losing, is the abuser losing control even to manage their own abuse that they affl afflict on other people? Can be a huge warning sign. Another part of escalation of abuse is at first they maintain this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, where in public they were Mr. Nice Guy and at home they were the monster. But then now um, it's escalating and they're starting to abuse in public. They don't care that other people see their behaviors. It's all about um, making sure that the victim knows that they're in control of the relationship. Especially even then it's how calculated is like the abuse they show in public, you know, is it around their family and friends? Cause that's one thing, but if it's around the survivors, family and friends, or it's in public where they know no one, you know, is it, is it at the local grocery store that they just start screaming and yelling because you're so stupid about something and they throw, you know, a can of corn at your head or whatever and the aisles full of people, you know, that's, that's a loss of control on their end. Mm -hmm. it's, right. that, it's that iceberg theory. Um, you know, we only see 10% of what's going on, what we see in public is only 10% of what's actually happening in the relationship. And so if what you see in public is someone acting out, throwing a can of corn at someone's head, you can only imagine what's going on when they're in private. So I know this is a little bit of a, of a turn, but what do you recommend to the public? I mean, do they step in? Do they call someone? hopefully not ignore it <laughs> my goodness absolutely we've talked about um bystander intervention before mm -hmm. if you see something say something you may not even be able to confront it on your own but find someone who can find security call the police don't be afraid to call the police because you may be wrong about what's happening that could save someone's life call. 
So as things begin to escalate, what kind of information can you give our listeners as to what steps they might want to consider? Well, um, always go back to safety planning. Um, And safety plans need to be individualized to the survivor's experience. If I tell you, uh, make sure you tell your neighbors that if they hear something, um, to call the police. And we live in a rural community, and your nearest neighbor is a half a mile away. You know, that's a good tip for someone who lives in the city, but not someone who lives in the country. So um, as advocates on our crisis line, Um, in person or whatever, we have to really listen to the survivor and find out what's going on in their lives and tailor make their safety plan for um, what it is that they're experiencing. And safety plans are are fluid. So when something changes in the relationship, the plan is going to change, I would think. Absolutely. I think part of it too is kind of doing an assessment internally, you know, for survivors, what's the likelihood, you know, that my partner has the ability to take my life? Have they ever made that threat before? You know, that should heighten my warning. You know, do they have access to weapons? Um, Where are those weapons? You know, if I'm living with my partner and I know that they own a firearm, where is that firearm? You know, that's for my safety as well. Where is it? Where is the ammunition kept for it? You know, and those things, because if that's been a threat on my life, like I'll kill you, I'll shoot you, whatever those threats may be around those weapons. Well, where are those weapons? How long will it take for my abuser if we're in the living room fighting to get to that firearm? because I should know that for my own safety. Is there something I can, you know, can I notify somebody that there is a firearm in our home? You know, so like, like Deb was saying, you know, in my safety plan, um, do other people know that there's a, a firearm and what kind it is and all of those things? Because that will help if somebody calls the police or that you call the police, that they know mm-hmm. that information. Um, it's important to know where it is all those kinds of things. Because part of when we do safety planning with survivors, whether it's in person or over the phone, we always talk about what rooms are safe in a house, in a home, um, and what aren't. And rooms like bathrooms and kitchens are unsafe compared to other rooms in a home because you're you're kind of trapped there. You know, if you go into a bathroom, it, it, it sounds safe in, in the panic fear moment because I can lock the door. But once they break through that door, you're in a room with all these hard surfaces, you know, so many bathrooms have tile floors and tile like half walls or full walls. I mean, there's so many things that Mm -hmm. become very dangerous for you, you know, and a a kitchen has knives and all those kinds of things. And so it's, it's finding rooms that are, are safer to hide in or that have second exits or windows to crawl out of or something like that. So kind of doing an assessment of the rooms in your house where weapons are kept you know, by the assailant. Um, you know, maybe you always check underneath the pillows just because you move the pillows before you go to bed at night and you look over the under the pillow one night and your partner has a knife under there and it's never been under there before. You know, that would definitely be escalation. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And so it's kind wow. of, kind of knowing that or your butcher block, you know, a lot of people have those blocks of knives yeah. on their counters, you know, is there one missing? Why is there one missing? You know, just being aware of our surroundings. Um, you know, Do you find that when you're talking to uh, survivors, to victims and, and making a safety plan that you're really the first person that introduces this whole idea of this could be a lethal situation that you're in? I think a lot of times the survivor has had that thought and that's why they've contacted us, either phone or email or whatever. They've had that inkling of they could kill me mm-hmm. and then it went away. But it was that one second fear response of like, mm-hmm. oh, it's real, you know, that right. really kind of starts that. Now, I, a lot of the times I think we, you know, we have been the first people to talk about then safety and kind of double checking and and being more aware of our surroundings. But oftentimes if survivors are reaching out to anyone, a friend or a family member, it's because it's gotten serious and because they've feared for their life, even if it was just for a second. Another thing that um, survivors need to, um, or victims need to look out for is strangulation. People in law enforcement calls that um, the edge of homicide. Uh, It continues to be one of the best ways to gauge lethality because it doesn't require a weapon and it really takes no time for someone to strangle you and you to die. Even if you don't die immediately, there's people who've experienced strangulation and died three days later because of their internal injuries. Nothing seemed to look like it was wrong on the outside, but internally. And so if someone's ever um, strangled you, and I'm using the um, term strangle instead of choke, because we hear that a lot. He choked me. Mm-hmm. And what we've learned from our training is choking is something internal. It's something that has gotten lodged in your throat and it's internal. Strangulation is once someone has put pressure on your windpipe from the outside and um, and began to strangle you. And um, here in the state of Michigan, um, strangulation is now a different charge than domestic violence. Strangulation is a felony because um, it could cause um, death um, a lot quicker than other um, tactics wow. of domestic violence. And so uh, if you ever call the police, a lot of times um, someone will leave that out when mm-hmm. they're um, telling the police about what happened. But if someone has um, strangled please um, let the police know. Start with that. Yeah, because that will also help them to gauge um, the lethality. And maybe if you don't mention that, they'll walk away and say, well, maybe you guys just separate for the night. But when the police officer hears that you've been strangled or you've been choked, that raises their antenna that this... um, perpetrator could kill. So that may be the single best piece of advice from this particular program is if this happens at all, that's, that's where you start. And that's um, a real reason to realize things are escalating. Mm-hmm. 
there's a couple other things that um, law enforcement looks for. Um, has your partner ever tried to kill himself or herself? You know, we hear a lot of times when there's been a murder or a homicide due to domestic violence. It's a, um, it's a suicide homicide situation. They kill, um, the assailant kills themselves and their partner. So if there's a history of attempted suicide on the um, part of the assailant, there's also a chance that that person could also try and kill their partner. What's huge when we talk about murder-suicides is the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence estimates that 72% of all murder-suicides that happen in the United States have intimate partner relationships between those two people. Mm-hmm. And so that's huge to know. That's why their own comments about suicide are huge. Or even, you know, if you left, I wouldn't survive. Things like that. Like, that, that means I would want to die or maybe I would die, you know, because sometimes they don't use the word suicide, but it's that, you know, I would die without you or I wouldn't know how to survive without you. Those are all leaning towards suicidal sayings and comments and stuff that should be considered as comments about their own suicides. Right. Also, increased use of um, alcohol or substances um, or um, worsening depression. Those are also signs that things could be turning um, lethal if the abuser feels like they have no hope and there's no reason for living then there's a chance that they could um, kill you along with themselves or children you know that sense of hopelessness a recent job loss you know unemployment is huge that loss of financial stability and that kind of stuff um, usually leads people to take more risky situations and choices that they have been before. So if your abuser has recently lost their job, because sometimes too, they've lost their job because they were unable to control, you know, their abusive tactics at work. You know, a lot of times there's a good reason they've lost their job. And so they could come home and take that out on the victim and their families. And with the situation with the virus and everything that we're living through right now, many people are facing those job losses and that continued um, stay-at-home orders and um, things are escalating at a different pace than they may have been otherwise. Yes, yes. And so, um, again, if someone is experiencing abuse, um, and you feel your life is in danger, call the police. Call the police. Um, Make sure you tell the police that I believe that this person will kill me. And and that um, will have the police. They have a lethality assessment in most counties. They have a lethality assessment that they will bring along with them. And they will go over a a lot of the things all of the things that we talked about, mm-hmm. and then some more to help them gauge um, what's going on and hopefully make an arrest and give that um, victim an opportunity to get to someplace safe. 
Very good. And to start this planning, give us a call. Our number Absolutely. one. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, absolutely, you don't have to do this alone. We're here to help. And that number is 1-800-828-2023 or online at dasismi.org. Yes. Thank you all for joining us today. And we hope you continued safety and, and um, reach out for help whenever you need it. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.